0: And welcome to Tour Guide Tell All, we're your friendly neighborhood tour guides here to share with you the often scandalous and darker side of history. We have a really juicy one for you. Um, But first things first, we'll do some introductions. I am, as always, Becca. I'm Rebecca. And together we're... The
1: Rebecca's...
0: Um, It is spring, it is April, it is getting to be um, a wonderful, beautiful time to visit Washington, D.C. If you are coming to visit D.C., be sure to check out our website, dcbyfoot.com. If you like us on the podcast, you'll love us in person. Um, We also have our full tour schedule up and out at this point. So if there's a topic we've talked about, we often cover these on our tours. So check it out online. In fact, today's topic we definitely touch on in one of our most popular, um, most beloved loved tours. But if you're coming to visit, come see us, uh, check us out uh, in person. We would love that. Um, First, and I guess secondly, after that, that was our first and foremost. Secondly, and also foremost, thank you to our wonderful patrons. Uh, We are so thankful of our patrons who support this podcast. Patrons, you can come take a tour with us. Be sure to check your patron tier. You can get free tickets to join us on tour or gift those to friends who might be traveling to D.C. If you're not a patron, this is a great time to join, especially if you're going to be traveling in this summer Um, our patrons get one special bonus episode every month a full episode just for them Uh, this month something special for our patrons something pretty interesting Um, I think a topic that Rebecca is quite passionate about
1: yes we're gonna talk about Shakespeare which is like my finest hour so we're gonna talk about the Folger Shakespeare Library and uh, you don't want to miss it because it's gonna be lit (laughs) both literary and on fire. It will be all of the lit.
0: It'll be them all. Um, So today we are going to talk about um, a woman associated with a topic and event that has crossed paths with this podcast many times. Um, This is a person associated with Lincoln's assassination, which we not only do an end depth walking tour on, but to which we have sort of touched on Lincoln's assassination and the way it's impacted a number of people. We've done episodes on Edwin Stanton. We've done episodes on Robert Todd Lincoln, of course. Um, we've talked about um, some other sort of uh, Lincoln adjacent people, but we've not yet talked about this particular woman. And I'm really excited because it's a sad story, a tragic story. I guess that's a spoiler, but anything associated with Lincoln's assassination is fairly tragic. But it's also, I think, um, as you sort of noted as we were outlining this, one of the most sort of beautiful, poignant examples of like the randomness of history and life and the way that one day can change everything.
1: Yeah. So Clara Harris... I've been thinking about doing this for months. By the time you guys listen to this, I will have been thinking about this since like last summer. Like I've been like nine months kind of like wanting to do Claire Harris. And we did this deliberately because Lincoln is assassinated at the beginning of April. So that's why the episode is timed the way it is. April 14th, 1865,
0: for those of you who have not taken our tour. (laughs) um
1: so that the it gives us a chance to talk about i think um two factors in history that we rarely get to kind of talk about um the role of random chance in history which is like bad things happen to people and normally like when a bad thing happens there's usually a combination of reasons bad luck and bad choices Mostly bad choices. (laughs) But in this particular instance, bad things happen to Clara Harris, Uh, one particular bad thing, through no fault of her own it is she has done nothing wrong and just is in the absolute wrong place at the absolute wrong time and the other the other idea is that one like event or day or happening can change the rest of the way your life unfolds and i feel like we don't like to talk about these things because they're kind of weird and they make us a little uncomfortable with the randomness of life and sort of bad luck and all that stuff but she gets more than her fair share i think of really random terrible luck
0: we also tend to focus Um, i think so often on the bold face name so if you're talking about an event that's a defining moment in american history like lincoln's assassination we tend to think about abraham Lincoln lincoln or john wilkes booth right we talk we tend to think about these big names or even the immediate person right his wife who shares his name and we tend to forget that they are joined not only by their guests that night, but by the many people in this theater, the many people who are associated with this plot, the many people who are in Lincoln's inner circle who become devastated by this. Um, This is something I think we try to impart on a lot of our tours, is that there's a ripple effect to many of these historical moments that extend well beyond whoever the most famous person is that you learn about in school. And we tend to forget about how these big events impact the everyman, impact the everyday citizen who as you said, through randomness and chance and luck often, Mm -hmm. as opposed to their own choice, ends up um, being sort of uh, witnesses to these events.
1: Yes. So... Claire Hair. so first of all, we have a whole tour about the Lincoln assassination, so you should come take that. So you're going to notice we're not going to talk too, too much about the actual evening itself. We'll put, but links, partly we focus on, we'll put links in our yes, show notes. We focus on her. Some,
0: um, we'll do uh, some links in the show notes to our YouTube channel where we did a series of videos kind of going more in depth on Lincoln's assassination as well. Um, but we're not going to address the ins and outs of the assassination on this episode.
1: Right, we're going to skip over some of that. And we want to focus on her, too, because she. this is about her. And so Clara Harris's name is not immediately familiar. She is the woman who's not Mary Lincoln in the president's box uh, on April Fourteenth, 1865. She is the guest of President Abraham and Mary Lincoln to the theater that night. And how does she get there? Who is she? So Clara Harris is born in Albany, New York. She's born on September 4th, 1834, to Ira Harris, a prominent judge and politician. Her mother dies in 1845. She's about 11. And Ira, and this is important uh, Ira remarries a couple of years later to a woman named Pauline Rathbone. Pauline Rathbone is a wealthy widow with two sons of her own, uh, Jared Jr. and Henry. Uh, when they marry, Uh, Henry is about 11 and Clara is about almost 15. So they've got a little bit of an age gap. Um, and they are wealthy. I should also mention, uh, Henry Rathbone inherits $200,000 from his dad, presumably his brother and his mother inherit similar amounts of money, uh, which in 2020 would have been about five and a half million dollars.
0: And to be clear, Ira Harris is upper, upper class, right? He's connected, he's a politician and a judge, but he's not wealthy like that kind of wealthy, like essentially Mm -hmm. a millionaire today. So in the way that many men in history do, he marries exceptionally well, um, to this woman who is coming with quite a fair bit of cash in addition to her two sons and her, by all accounts, lovely personality.
1: Yes. And they seem to make kind of a power couple. He's a judge mostly, uh, in New York. Uh, Ira is, uh, Clara as a kid, um, and Clara Harris and Henry Rathbone, they become close as kids, they grow up together. And then, and this is always a little squicky, as adults, they fall in love and they wanna get married. So they are indeed step-siblings, they are not related yes. by blood,
0: but they do meet
1: kind right. of when they're
0: teens, pre, he's a preteen, they're teens. But yeah, whenever mm. I slip this in on a tour, you always get the people who sort of raise their eyebrows a little bit
1: and they're a little squidged out. Yeah, I make a joke about it. <laughs> I mean, they are it's not gross, but it's like gross adjacent. Like it's not good, you know, and no one is pleased by this because it's not like they met as adults, like they met as kind of kids. And I don't know, that just seems a little weird to me. And um, they, they're thrilled by this, but their parents who are married to each other (laughs) are not, (laughs) they're not thrilled. Uh, Pauline Rathbone Harris and Ira Harris are not really 100 thrilled about this and they kind of ask the couple to like i don't know delay the wedding you know long engagement make sure that this is what yeah, you want I Really want.
0: Yeah. henry henry training as so a lawyer so it's sort of like get yourself established sir
1: and then you yeah. can think about marriage and you know he's so young and i mean i guess he's got plenty of money so it's not like he can't provide for her but like Also, like, this is a big step to take unless, you know, particularly given our proximity. If it doesn't work out, Christmas will be awkward forever. So just, you know, make sure. And Rathbone trains as a lawyer. And then the Civil War happens. And this is going to interrupt their plans in two important ways. The first is that Ira, the father, is going to be appointed by Abraham Lincoln, with whom he is friends to fill out a Senate term. So if you listen to our election episode of 1860, one of Lincoln's rivals for the Republican nomination for president was a man named William Seward, who was the senator from New York. Lincoln gets the nomination, obviously, and becomes president. And recognizing Seward's quality is going to ask him to be secretary of state, which means that Seward has to resign his Senate position and there needs to be someone to fill it. And because Ira Harris is like a cool dude and he's, you know, a man about town in Albany and he's friends with Lincoln. Ira Harris is going to be selected to fill the rest of Seward's term. So suddenly, Clara Harris is the daughter of a senator. Which is a big boost from daughter of prominent judge.
0: Senator's mm. daughter um, is pretty pretty good um you know this is the senate at this time and this is true today but I think especially in this era when these were still appointed positions the senators were the movers and shakers that was where the power sat um and Seward is a man who many assume might have another go at the presidency um perhaps Mm -hmm. and so to have kind of taken his seat and staying close with Seward this is like a politically ambitious family and we're seeing we're seeing a little step up there for them.
1: Oh, very much a step up. And suddenly, like, they're friends with the Lincolns, too. And so suddenly, like, Clara Harris, says, Mary Lincoln and Clara Harris know each other. And they, like, when they all get to Washington, they hang out. And so suddenly, this young woman is not in Albany, New York, as the daughter of a judge. She's in Washington. She's the daughter of a senator and a confidant. Of the First Lady of the United States Which says something too We've talked a little bit We've talked uh, Actually touched
0: on Mary Lincoln a bit In different episodes This is not a woman Who has a lot of friends In D.C. society Not a lot of people She feels that she can trust She is shunned by some of the The older sort of societal ladies Or the old school Um, She's not particularly on great terms With a lot of the wives Of cabinet members and such And so Clara Even though being A daughter of a senator Might have socially ranked her a little bit lower the fact that mary likes her and confides in her she really works her way in or is able to get closer than she would have otherwise and the i mean mary probably could count on one hand the number of people she considered close confidants and the fact that clara harris regularly gets invited to the white house regularly is by her side even after mary's dealing with the terrible loss of their son willie in 1862 i think it speaks to um, how highly um mary valued clara as a friend which was not Something she would say about a lot of people.
1: I agree. I'm a big Mary Lincoln apologist. Like, we, I'm well on the record You don't have to have a ton of friends. Like, I'm just saying she didn't. No, no, no. <laughs> but, like, it's a hard job. It's a hard job particularly for Mary Lincoln. And I feel like Clara Harris is kind of a good pal for her. They, like, hang out and, and it's really, like, a nice close – Uh, relationship. Rathbone is going to go into the military because he wants to serve his country and he is going to serve. um, He actually serves in a couple of different battles, including Antietam, which is to this day, America's single bloodiest day of combat. So he is a hero. He starts out as a captain. He's eventually promoted to major. Uh, and so he is, by the end of the war, he's a hero. And he's actually, by the end of the war, on desk duty because he's been wounded and he's been in a couple battles. And so he's in Washington on desk duty. And um, there's by the end of the war, they're still not married. Four years, guys. This is a long time. I'm just saying, like, especially back then. It's a,
0: it's long, a long engagement. Time. A couple of things to note on. He is a little bit younger than Clara. So, I mean, he's in mm-hmm. his 20s during this time. So by no means when we think about the age of the men serving in the Civil War, th- there were very, very young men serving. But he's really at the kind of the prime of his life in the thick of it with the war. As you mentioned, he's at Antietam, which I can't even fathom what that experience was like. Uh, This is a man who serves throughout, which was not true of everybody, right? Um, This was a war that drags on. It's a war that, you know, there are difficulties paying soldiers and difficulties getting things organized. And people flee after one year when their one-year contracts are up and they say, no, thank you. And the fact that Rathbone sticks through it, I think um, is impressive and remarkable. But I also think that it's important to note that four years of this war, both combat and even from a desk duty perspective means that he saw and experienced things that will impact him forever. So even before the moment of this tragic yes. event on April 14th, we, I, I really think in a broad sense, we tend to skirt over the impact psychologically of the civil war on the men that bought it. Um, you know, they didn't have a word for post-traumatic mm-hmm. stress or even as they called it in the, uh, second world war battle fatigue. They didn't have a word for that, but it existed. <laughs> and the impact psychologically that this war had on on an entire generation shouldn't be ignored. And so I just want to note that as we talk about what happens with Rathbone, that this is a man who for four years This was his life, was this war, serving in combat, serving on the desk job, not to mention when you were in D.C., the constant threat of invasion, this constant fear that the the nation's capital might fall. And so that's a lot of stress. So, A, it doesn't surprise me that they don't get married during this time because you got bigger fish to fry. But also, what is this doing to a man in his 20s from a mental perspective?
1: and i think the parents their parents the senator harris is pretty is super fine to just let this engagement like continue to play out Clara harris is a pretty woman she's not like a ravishing beauty or anything but she's very attractive she's clearly got social prominence maybe some other man will turn her head and we won't have to worry about this like icky situation with her stepbrother but that is not what happens the end of the war comes and they're so, still super devoted to each other and so when they get asked on the morning of April 14th if they want to go to the, th- to the theater with the first couple with the Lincolns, Claire Harris and Henry Rathbone are very excited to say yes. They are not, it should be mentioned, Lincolns' first choice. Not even close. There
0: is a... <laughs> or even a second. <laughs> or fifth or tenth. Right. Most, ac- like, most accounts put it at about 15 little. other couples that get invited before yeah. the two of them and there is that. there's a pecking order to society right there's the cabinet always but- you know, that's not, not you yeah. know, and you think about uh, if you've listened to some of our other episodes, Lincoln's closest was Seward. Seward's in no shape to go to the theater on April 14th. Yeah. If you don't know why, watch our videos, take our tour. Or come on our tour. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> several of the wives of these cabinet members are not huge fans of Mary. People are exhausted after four years of fighting. Mm. It's Easter Sunday. It's Easter weekend. So people have family obligations. People are traveling. So, yeah, they're, they're you know, they kind of work their way through sort of the chain of society before getting to these two.
1: And so they're they're very excited, though, when they are asked. Like, this means social acceptance for them. Like, they're going to be seen in they public. They don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth, right? Ew. Last
0: minute invite doesn't matter because, and this is a big yeah. deal. This is a few days after the surrender at Appomattox. The city's in full-on celebration mode. So to be seen mm. by the president's side in this moment, it's good. It's big.
1: It looks good, yeah. Clara Harris wears a new dress. Brand new. Brand new white satin with a wreath of artificial flowers and lilacs across the front. And if you know what's coming, the white is an unfortunate choice for her. Um, To me, though, I think it's such a
0: subtle, for her, uh, a subtle or not so subtle hint of their engagement and the fact that she intends to marry. She's wearing sort of bridal white to the theater. Um, So we see Clara's, I think, social savvy here. Um,
1: And also like, let's go, buddy. Let's set a date. Come (laughs) on.
0: (laughs) But also to to indicate to society at large, right? We intend to marry um, and won't we be lovely. And I do always sort of think of this moment of her picking out what to wear and putting it on. And um, there are not a ton of photographs of Clara Harris. And in fact, uh, uh, for many years, a misattributed photograph of Clara Harris. Um, But she's she's pretty, and I imagine this sort of pretty youngish woman. She's not young, young anymore um, at this point, but sort of like this is gonna be her moment to really step Mm -hmm. out and putting this dress on. And then knowing what's to come, I just always feel this pang of sadness. For her and for Rathbone too, but sort of especially her in this beautiful,
1: pristine white satin dress. And she's 30, he's 27. And he lives, they do not live together, because in those days, you obviously could not live together if you were respectable before you were married. And so he lives around the corner, literally in back of the White House, or on the north side of the White House, to be more precise, uh, in a house that still stands, actually. She does not live there, although that is where she is that night. So she lives with her her father and his mother, um, in a house a few blocks away, and because he's very wealthy, he lives in like the very money address of D.C., like Lafayette Square. Back then, was all houses was all very wealthy, and so the Lincolns are going to pick them up on their way to the theater. They all arrive together, and they all arrive late. And suffice to say, in the in what ensues. Uh, Obviously, Lincoln gets shot, but Rathbone also gets injured. John Wilkes Booth is going to cut Henry Rathbone. And so Clara Harris gets his blood all over her brand new dress. And she will stay with Mary. So Lincoln doesn't die immediately. It takes him a few hours. And she will stay with Mary Lincoln that whole night. And Mary Lincoln keeps looking at her and seeing all this blood and saying, oh, that's my poor husband's blood. And it actually wasn't. Lincoln's wound didn't bleed that much. It was in the head. And so it's not a big bleeder. But Mary Lincoln's confused. Clara Harris is trying to comfort her. Henry Rathbone has to go to the doctor himself because he's been pretty badly injured. So it's a It is a terrible night for all involved.
0: To touch, I think, on what Clara witnesses, not only, right, is it the proximity of this assassination of Lincoln, but then Booth, very much with the intention of fighting his way out of the box, is going to cut Rathbone from elbow to shoulder to the bone. He's going to sever an artery. Um, So there is blood everywhere. Um, You know, Rathbone's scrappling with Booth. Booth ultimately escapes, but it's sort of Rathbone that's trying to call attention to the box and to this man and to get people to sort of pay attention to what's happening. The remarkable thing... For me, and I assume it's pure adrenaline, is Ratbone stays upright for like the next thirty minutes. He manages to somehow help get the doctors into the box. He manages to get Lincoln out, and eventually he gets out into the hall and he passes out because he has lost a copious amount of blood. He gets taken back to his home so the doctors can attend to him. And at some point, Clara does get a notice of, hey, you need to come because he's not looking so good. So she sort of rushes over, sort of make sure that he's okay. Once the doctors assure her that he is going to pull through, she's back sort of mourning Lincoln and and sort of being there on site, not the least of which is to also give her account to Stanton and others who are collecting Mm -hmm. all of this eyewitness testimony. But it is kind of amazing to me because there's a bit of a moment where it's unclear if like Rathbone is okay. So not only yeah. does she witness this sort of exceptionally tragic death of, of an American president, but there is a moment where she thinks she might lose her fiancé slash stepbrother to whom she's exceptionally right. close.
1: Yeah, it's just so terrible. And I just... I can only imagine how traumatic this must have been. And to give like for our non-DC residents, in case you're at all curious, Ford's Theater is only about five blocks from the White House. So about five blocks from where Rathbone lives. So we're not talking about huge distances. It's very easy for her to make it there and back um, in the course of an evening. Um, And just to sort of witness all of this. And so Rathbone is gonna recover, which is good. Uh, And then in the aftermath of all of this, there's the the president's funeral she's Um, comforting Mary Lincoln. There's not a lot of people that Mary trusts and what's around her. And Mary Lincoln is, as anyone would be, absolutely shattered by this. And she is in no real position to make a lot of decisions. A lot of things are going to fall to her sons, who are also grief-stricken. So I can only imagine like, what a comfort it must have been to her to have Clara Harris there sort of relatively clear-headed and kind of helping out and making decisions and sort of just being a shoulder to Lean on. And I would imagine, sort of, in the way that, like, in the way that history goes, I would imagine Clara Harris is really the one who's making a lot of these, like, sort of personal, intimate decisions with Mary Lincoln uh, in those days after uh, Lincoln's death. Um, Henry Rathbone recovers, and the, suddenly, in the aftermath of all of this, they're the two most famous people in Washington D.C., but not for like the good reasons. You know, like suddenly they are like no one can talk about anything else for weeks other than the Lincoln assassination. And they are like the link to this assassination. Mary is in seclusion. She's a grieving widow, but they are they're grieving as well. But they're they're more public. I think, than than the Lincolns are at this point. It's sort of unseemly
0: to sort of obsess about Mary a little bit, or it would seem unseemly to write about her extensively, but papers feel as though they can write about the two of them right? Um, They feel as though these are the people. And for those who who have not taken our tour, aren't as um, aware of this, the investigation launches right away. You have inquiries Mm -hmm. and trials happening very quickly today. You know, it can be years for a trial to happen after an event of this scale. Um, But this is Mm -hmm. happening literally in the weeks that follow. They're giving important eyewitness testimony. They're forced to sort of tell their version of these events over and over and over. Um, And this is all the newspapers are covering, this is all anyone's talking about. And so they really get thrust under a microscope very quickly.
1: It really does. Like, it takes two weeks to find John Wilkes Booth. It takes another, the trial ha- of, not Booth, because Booth is dead by this time. But it ta- the trial of the conspirators happens almost immediately. They're executed in July. So this is all happening. It's in the front pages. It is on everybody's tongue. And they just kind of have to get through this, testify at the, the trials and sort of move through it. And they feel like, and I would imagine they felt like, okay, we just got to get through this initial... Bit and then it will be okay. Things will calm down and we can like resume normal life. But then that doesn't happen. Real normal life resumes, but they're still very much a topic of conversation. And not for them, whenever no, it's they, not normal life for them, <laughs> it never goes back to normal life for them. Exactly. Whenever they go anywhere, and this is years go by and this continues to happen to them, people will whisper about them. And not in, like, a malicious way necessarily, but just gossip is human nature. Like, we talk about what's happening in our world, and you can imagine them walking into, like, the theater or a party or whatever and having someone, like, kind of their eyes get wide and start whispering to their companions, oh, that's who they are. They're the couple that was with the Lincolns and sort of pointing at them. Which is, I mean, it's human nature. It's not... It just, it is what it is, but you can imagine being Clara Harris and Henry Rathbone and having this, like, do you constantly want to be reminded of the absolute worst day of your life? Probably not. They get married. This delays their marriage even further. Poor Clara Harris. Um, she is, She they get married in July of 1867, so a solid two years later. Basically two years uh, after sort of the execution of the conspirators. They really have to put quite a bit of distance
0: between themselves and this event. Yes. And the hope, I think it really is her hope that the fervor and the attention dies down, although, as you note, it never really does. It
1: never really does. They have three children, Henry, Gerald, and Clara. And they stay in Washington. Henry's a lawyer. He's, there's some, he does some diplomatic things. He is going to, this affects both of them, but seems to affect Henry more. And he, like Becca already alluded to, he seems to have already had some mental health issues before Lincoln's assassination. This Does not help, though. His association with Lincoln, being in the spotlight, the guilt and shame that he feels about being unable to stop John Wilkes Booth, all of that sort of eats at him for years. And he is erratic. He can't hold a job. He drinks too much. And it gets worse. And there's a marked decline over years and years and years. And it just he never really sort of recovers. from, And there's
0: no real understanding understanding of, if certainly not any sort of post-traumatic stress from serving in the Civil War, certainly having been involved in this horrific assassination. There's no mental health support. There's no real place to go or understanding. And so I do have a sympathy for Henry Rathbone because He's in, I think, such a difficult place mentally, and there's really nothing to be done. Um, There's not a lot of resource or assistance. And um, that sort of sense of they're being watched everywhere they go, Clara notices it and she doesn't like it. But... Um, She even writes in a letter that Henry imagines that the whispering is more pointed and malicious than it can possibly be. Henry, in particular, really feels the burden of that spotlight. And I do think part of it is this guilt as though he could have done something or anything to save the president and stop Booth. And truthfully, there's really nothing he could have done. Uh, I don't think there's anything he could have done in that moment once it happens the way it does that he could have stopped it but that eats away at him and and once it starts he starts down that decline there's no there's no coming back from it
1: right and i feel like it's one thing to tell somebody that there's nothing that you could do and to know it rationally and there's another thing to like have been there and watched this unfold in real time and henry like claire harris will write that it's like being animals in a zoo. Like whenever they go somewhere, people are pointing at them. And you can imagine that like Henry Rathbone sort of, he takes this as malicious as, as, you know, they're blaming him for Lincoln's death, that somehow it's his fault. And you can see that sort of continuing to hold, to get a hold on him for years and years and years. And it, it does not get better. He struggles to hold down a job. He um, is jealous of her. He's convinced that she's seeing other men and um, that he begins to gamble and he's just all sorts of um, he has affairs, but accuses her of having affairs. Like it's just all a lot. And Clara Harris is, um, trying to hold their family together through all of this and trying to figure out a way to comfort him. And it's, I can only imagine how terrible this must have been for her, um, trying to figure their way through this. And eventually- I I do think it's worth noting too. uh,
0: No, no, I just think it's worth noting that she doesn't have a lot of options either. Um, Her husband's in a clear mental decline. He's erratic. He's an alcoholic, frankly. It's very likely that he is abusive towards her as this continues on based on what we have meal from some letters but she does not have a lot of legal options out of this marriage um right. and beyond what's legal socially for a woman of her class and status you don't leave your husband it's it's just not possible um it's very very difficult i should say so she really has to just have the mentality of I just got to hold it together I gotta find us any port in a storm we need to just figure out a way through this um there isn't an easy way to just say this isn't working I'm divorcing you and i think that's important to note here, that it's easy to look at it from a 21st century perspective and go, she should have, you know, girl, you're in trouble, get out of there. But right. that was not the way. Um, and there were not many ways for that to
1: happen. And you also, like, this isn't something that, like, one day you wake up and he's like this. Like, this happens over a period of time. And this is also someone that you've been connected with since you were a kid. There's a lot of years of history here. There's a lot of emotion wrapped up in this. They have three children together. And it just, I can only imagine her thinking, well, if I just give it some more time, he'll figure his way out of this. And she has no real other options. He accuses her of being unfaithful while he's unfaithful himself. He is jealous of the attention she pays to their children. He does threaten her on several occasions, and we can only imagine what happens behind closed doors. There's no evidence, but there's a lot of whispers um, seeming that he might have been violent towards her. And so she figures that maybe getting out of D.C. Yeah. Is the thing. You put some distance between where all the bad stuff happens. Change of pace. Change of scenery. Get out of the... And they don't. She decides we're not just getting out of D.C. We're not going home to Albany. We're going to just cut bait entirely and move out of the country. And there is it is actually unclear. And I could not find when I was doing the research for this. The story that I have told on tour is that he gets a diplomatic appointment. That does not actually appear to be necessarily true. His brother gets a diplomatic appointment, but it is possible that they just move. But in any event, they move to Germany. In 1882, they're going to pick up uh, and move to the province of Hanover, uh, which is now Germany. And um, his they, thinking that this will be like a fresh start. They have little kids. It'll be fine. They don't know anybody. No one will look weird at them over nope, there. Nobody will You know, know they them. can go to parties, right? To be perfect. And it does not help. In fact, it accelerates his decline. And maybe he was too far gone to be recovered at this point. It's unclear. Maybe the isolation of not speaking the language and not really knowing anybody, maybe that affects him poorly. It's not really, there's no real clarity on exactly what happens. But it seems that his uh, decline, Henry Rathmore's decline accelerates. He is um, to the point where on December 23rd, 1881, so two days before Christmas, he has what probably can best be described as a psychotic break. I don't know a better way to describe that, but that seems to be as some sort of a breakdown. Uh, It's called at the time a fit of madness. He's going to get a gun and shoot his wife. He attempts to shoot himself And the story that I have heard is their nanny, the children's nanny, recognizes what's happening and gets the kids out of the house. So the kids see none of this. But he shoots his wife. He tries to shoot himself. And he kills his wife. Clara Harris dies two days before Christmas in 1881 at the hands of her husband. Um, And which lends credence to the idea that he was violent to her before this. I'm just saying.
0: But Um, also I think, you know, from what we sort of understand, and it's kind of fascinating because – they're so well-documented in terms of their their connection to Lincoln. But a lot of this later mm-hmm. life stuff isn't as well-documented because they're kind of somewhat everyday folk-ish, everyday-ish folk. Um, but the understanding is sort of that this does not not come out of nowhere, but this is um, a fit of madness a psychotic break you know they're sort of by the way it's been accounted in some sources he comes in to talk about something regarding the children and pulls out a gun and she's in her bedroom getting ready for bed you know where where are you going to go how are you going to flee she really has no no chance um and yeah and then he intends to kill himself but that is not going to be successful
1: no, it's not. And he shoots himself a couple times, does not succeed in killing himself, and is going to be um, – he's going to blame this crime on an intruder, and he's declared insane uh, by doctors and put in a mental institution for the criminal asylum for the criminally insane in Heidelheim, Germany, where he will remain for the rest of his life. And Henry Rathbone dies in 1911. So nearly 50 years after the Lincoln assassination, he is um, he's going to stay in this institution. He'll remain institutionalized forever. And in fact, his last words are actually about uh, how he could not stop John Wilkes Booth. And so literally until his dying day, this is what obsesses him uh, until the end of his which life. Is,
0: which is heartbreaking. Uh, so, I mean, what he does to Clara is terrible. And I don't want to minimize that. But this is a person who, because of where he is, one night of his life is just, I think, really never the same.
1: Never the same. And I oh, i say this on tour, and I believe that this is true. Lincoln is John Wilkes Booth's victim, yes. But I also think that Clara Harris and Henry Rathbone are also John Wilkes Booth's victim. Also probably Mary Lincoln, too, honestly. Absolutely. But, like... There's the fallout from this continues for 50 years. Like this is such a, this traumatizes both of them, but particularly Henry Rathbone to the point where he's institutionalized. This is literally the last thing that goes through his head before he dies uh, nearly 50 years after the event. And it just is such a sad and tragic way to, um, have this all play out. And Clara after spending um,
0: sort of 6 years of trying to get married to this man, um several yeah. sort of, you know, almost 15 years of trying to kind of make their marriage work, finds herself killed by her beloved husband when she's 49 years old. Yes. It's absolutely
1: uh, just a tragedy,
0: a true tragedy.
1: Their children come back to the states. They are raised by her brother William, um, and they kind of disappear into history. They lead mostly normal lives. They that seems to be the only like saving grace about this. Um, her their son Henry, by the way. This is I discovered this when I was doing research. Henry does serve one term in Congress, which I Henry knew. Henry Riggs, uh, their to distinguish him from his Henry father. Riggs. Yes. And he may – he's from Illinois. Well, he serves from Illinois. Um, He may be, I think, the only – or the first person in American history, the first man in American history to both succeed and be succeeded by a woman in Congress. Fascinating. Yeah. So he is – he, he succeeds a woman named Winifred Mason Huck, who is the third woman to serve in Congress, like, at all. And when he only serves one term, and when he goes back to Illinois, his successor is Ruth Hannah McCormick, who is the daughter of Mark Hannah, huh. of Teddy Roosevelt yeah. So uh, it's kind of an interesting little footnote there uh, for their son. But otherwise, they lead, the three children, like, lead kind of undistinguished normal everyday lives, and I mean that in the very best sense of the word. They don't they don't seem to have adversely suf- suffered for what their parents did. They sort of disappear into history, which is kind of nice.
0: And I do think one saving grace for them is that this horrible crime that their father commits, this murder, uh, attempted murder-suicide, sort of failed on the suicide point, but that that happens so far away from Washington, D.C. If it had happened in the city, I fear that cycle would have continued because yes. it would have garnered much more press attention as it is frankly even when this happens in 1881 there are some newspaper accounts there's some talk but it happens so far away that there isn't nearly as much press scrutiny as i think there would have been if it had happened in dc certainly you know if they had still been very connected to dc society
1: i agree i think the fact that she moves into It does. It bringing them to Germany actually, I think, helps the children recover. Clara Harris and Henry Rathbone are buried in Germany, so they're buried in Heidelsheim, or they were. Their graves have apparently been dropped to make room for other graves. Um, But uh, I think that that is very true. I think that they are spared a lot of this by the fact that this happened so far away. And their parents are not particularly famous. I mean, they are, but they're only famous for one thing. And when they leave, that sort of, I feel like, breaks the circuit there for them. Um, And it just is such a tragic end to uh, this story. And I, oh, this is one of the reasons I wanna talk about Clara Harris because she just, she doesn't do anything wrong here. And the, going to the theater with the Lincolns was supposed to be this really big deal for her in a good way. And it becomes this really big deal for her in a really terrible and tragic way. And it, 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 she never recovers from it. Uh, they keep the dress, the, the, the blood-soaked dress that she's in. She's going to keep that in a back closet in her home for decades. She can't get rid of it, but she doesn't want to look at it for obvious reasons. Uh, and so she basically puts it in an unused closet. And the story goes, if you believe in this sort of thing, that people wake up in the middle of the night whenever they sleep in that room and hear voices, uh, possibly Lincoln laughing. It's not clear. but she, And she claims uh, at is, least
0: in one letter to have been visited by Lincoln's ghosts, which is sort of um, what she, feel. one of the reasons she feels as though she cannot part with this dress. And it's in a closet. And I should mention by all accounts, it's it's bricked up inside the closet so it's there but you can't like open the door and look at it that's <laughs> so like it's yeah there, yeah yeah, yeah. It's eventually... there, but like we're not looking at it which makes it kind of creepier
1: like eventually like edgar Allan poe like they brick up the closet like very like she can't look at it but she can't throw it out and i believe their son henry rick Rathbone he
0: would, would at least by his own account um go to that summer home when they get back from germany um and basically you know tear out the brick knock down the wall and destroy the dress so we have no documentation of it other than her description of it so there was never a photograph or a preservation of it the way we we've had some of the other dresses associated with that night uh lorike and the actresses being kind of i think the most famous of those um and yeah according to um A congressman from Massachusetts who once stayed there, he said he had dreams about Lincoln and found out later that it was the room that had the dress. You know, these are the sorts of things that's hard to substantiate, um, but people certainly at least felt that if you were in the proximity of the dress, you would be visited by Lincoln. Um, But I think it speaks to sort of her connection to that night. She doesn't want to dwell on it. She doesn't want to look at it. She certainly doesn't want to travel around and display it the way Miss Laura Keene does with her own bloody dress um, Mm -hmm. that she gets from sort of cradling Lincoln's head in her lap. But she she can't get rid of it either. And I think that really is a good sort of metaphor for Clara when it comes to Lincoln's assassination. She wants to move forward. She wants to Mm -hmm. have her family and put some distance in and, and move forward forward, but but she can't because for her Mm -hmm. husband, he he just cannot. And so I think in many ways, it's sort of the same situation from her. She doesn't want to dwell on it. She doesn't want to look at it, but she's tethered to it forever.
1: Right. She wants to move on. And I just, I feel like she, she works so hard and waits so long to have this happy marriage and then spends the, most of the marriage trying to help her husband and figure out why he's the way that he is and figure, like, help him through this, like, darkness that he can't seem to get out of. And it just is so sad and tragic for me. And that's why I wanted to talk about Clara Harris, because she's really, like, she's the one that never no one ever talks about. Like, even on the tours, we talk about Lincoln, we talk about Mary Lincoln, talk about Henry Rathbone, but we don't talk that much about Clara Harris. And so I feel like she is the, you know, she sort of bears the brunt of a lot of this and is the, you know... Um, in many ways, really, just such a tragic figure.
0: Absolutely. Um, this is a topic I obviously love to to talk about. I I I think that the Lincoln assassination is one of the most interesting moments in American history, and I tend to, especially as I get older and I I do this job more and more, tend to be interested in the the non boldface names who are there, the people yeah. that are more tertiary to it, because um, it has just as big an impact, in fact, an even bigger impact in many ways than it does on Abraham Lincoln. And so I think it's important right. to give Clara sort of her time and, and, and our attention.
1: And also you'd expect it to, like, obviously it would have a big Lincoln uh, uh, impact on Mary Lincoln, like she's his widow, that goes without saying almost, and of course she never recovers from this, but the idea that like the two people in the booth with them never recover from this, and how many people were there in the audience, and it was a packed house that never recover from this. There is a photograph, believe it or not, of the last surviving person who was in Ford's theater. He was like 105. He died in like nineteen fifty. He went on TV. He went on like, one of those
0: What's My Line TV shows, and that was yeah. like the thing. It's like, what's my line? I was there when Lincoln was assassinated.
1: Can you imagine?
0: Yeah. That? It's- Like, we have him on TV. On television. And it's on YouTube now. You guys can look it up. It is my dream on this podcast to really touch on just about every person of note in Lincoln's circle and how they're impacted by this. Um, You know, we have so many interesting people I want to talk about. We've never done an in-depth episode on Seward. I'd like to talk about more of Lincoln's cabinet. Um, He has two uh, men working as secretaries for him that are both deeply impacted by this because they think of Lincoln Mm -hmm. like a father. So trust me, listeners, this will come up again but I really am glad that sure. we took time to give Clara a full, a full episode and a full look.
1: Yes, me too. Very much. Um, and so that's Clara Harris. And thank you guys for coming along. The anniversary is April 14th uh, for the Lincoln assassination. And when you come to D.C., definitely te- take our tour to get the there's a lot of stuff that we did not even touch on uh, in this. Uh, so the Lincoln assassination is endlessly fascinating. So thank you guys for coming along. We will be back in a couple of weeks with another episode. In fact, the next one will be a patron or a listener request. So we're excited about that. And um, yeah, have a have a great April. Yeah. Thank you guys. We'll, we'll see everybody. you next time. Bye. Bye.